Hey y'all, this is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode. So what you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And it's available to premium subscribers who pay $5 a month. And if you want to hear the rest of the episode, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and subscribe for only $5 a month. You get not only access to this episode in its entirety, but to the whole backlog of premium episodes, which at this point is over 100 episodes at this point. So it's a great deal. So without further ado, here is the preview, and I hope we see you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks, where you can hear the rest. Your book, the um, chapters include addicted to technology, addicted to ourselves, addicted to distraction, addicted to thinking, <clears throat> addicted to love. And as I was going through it, I was noticing um, kind of indirect or other type of addictions that I had that were kind of falling into a lot of this stuff. And one, for example, that I was having was uh, buying books, but mm. buying books at a rate faster than I could ever read them in a lifetime. And at some point when I was reading <laughs> your book, I was kind of realizing, wow, this is an addiction like I have. And I, I looked at the books and I did a little um, experiment with myself. I took a couple of days. I took all the books, right? And I jumped to the last page of every book and I made this Excel spreadsheet because, you know, with quarantine and stuff, I have time to do stuff I normally would never um, have. So mm -hmm. I just sat down with this and I had this total pages. And then I said, okay, long would it take me to read all these pages in a lifetime? And I just kept entering. I made a little spreadsheet. <laughs> oh, I love it. With I a love division. It. <laughs> and I was adding different day days and different, like, I'm like, if I want to read this in 10 years, how many pages a day would I have to be? And it would keep coming up with these exorbitant, ridiculous numbers. And the more I looked at it, I'm like, this is really ridiculous, all these books I have. like, I'm, And I can't read them fast enough. I cannot read them fast enough to get through this in a lifetime. There's something else happening here. And there's some kind of anxiety reduction that happens from, A, shopping for the books and browsing through them. As I realized, it's not really reading the books. There's some weird relationship I'm having to them mm -hmm. that it gives me a sense of control over something. Like I was kind of realizing from reading your book, all these things that this thing can apply to that we don't necessarily think of. And like you said, you have things like addicted to thinking, addicted to love. And I was thinking there's probably so many things we can um, tie this stuff um, into. And it was definitely more anxiety than stress because I don't even think reading the stuff would was even reducing anything. And I ended up getting rid of a lot of stuff. I got rid of over mm. like half my books. And the anxiety that produced was very interesting. Just getting rid, <laughs> just getting rid of them, even knowing that I wasn't going to be able to. Uh, but it lifted a giant weight off me somehow at the mm -hmm. same time. Like it was like having a bunch of homework just um, slashed in half or by two thirds. Wow, that is so interesting. So tell me if you can relate to this. The analogy that comes to mind when you say this is when we are constantly looking for that perfect relationship. And so we date this person, then this person, then this person, then this person. And our brain keeps saying, if I just do more of this, I will find the perfect person. Yet, if we don't look at our ourselves and we see, wait a minute, I've got to start with myself, you know, and if we've got something that, that we need to you know, work on or resolve ourselves, 
we're never going to find that perfect person. And I think the same is true with, you know, I see this in the self-help industry where it's almost designed to tell people, oh, just read one more self-help book, just read one, and this will have the perfect formula. Or somebody's trying to lose weight, just do this diet, and this one will do it where all the others fail, but this one will do it. And none of these actually get at the core mechanisms of of kind of contentment, of happiness, of all of that. And if we just look inside and start to understand how our own minds work, we can realize, oh, this isn't, these books are just brain candy. And candy just gives us a sugar rush and says, wow, that was good, read another one. Oh, that was good, read another one. As compared to looking into our own direct experience where, you know, it's like (laughs) whole food, plant-based diet or whatever, (laughs) you know, it's not sugar because experience is where we develop our own wisdom. So for example, you made your your major Excel spreadsheet and you learn something from your own direct experience. Like, wait a minute, (laughs) I'm caught up in this, this brain candy rush of just reading a bunch of books and it's not going to help. So there's your wisdom. And then you did something about it by getting rid of half the books. That's great. Yeah. And it's, and like I said, it wasn't even just reading it. Like I think part of it was reading it, but there was something about the sensation of like the hunt for it. And I'm sure this probably the same thing with, um, drug addicts like i'm sure it's not just the actual smoking of the drug but there's probably a whole chain events that happens after the trigger like finding the finding their dealer um meeting him the exchange i'm sure there's a level of addiction to the whole process leading up to the snort of cocaine or the drink of the um alcohol like you know going to your favorite bar sitting down with your favorite bartender and starting to drink away or if your preferred thing is to buy a 40 ounce of beer and bring it back home and drink yourself to oblivion like there is that kind of chain of the trigger the behavior and whatever and it a lot to do with um same with um, porn like i was uh found this guy's page because when i was um reading your stuff and started doing searches on YouTube for like addiction and stress and anxiety. I found this whole thing of people who were talking about addiction to porn too. And that seems to be mm-hmm. a really big thing that's debilitating people. Like this guy had a huge YouTube channel dedicated to just that and yeah. nothing and nothing else. And he was saying the same thing. He was like, um, if you break the chain that, and it was very similar to what you were saying, you know, the trigger the behavior and the result and it applied to my books i would have three or four favorite bookstores that i would like to go to my favorite sections in the bookstore and you know uh it would all kind of lead to it would start even before i even read the book i wouldn't even always have to even read the book Just, yeah the anticipation anticipation thank you thank you i could not think yes. of the word thank you anticipation Yes, it's that anticipation that really, (laughs) and like you're saying, that can last a lot longer than the actual event. So think of, you know, that dating analogy I mentioned earlier, you know, somebody goes on a date and there's that anticipation of that first kiss. Well, you know, that could last for hours. It could last for weeks. And that kiss certainly isn't going to last for weeks (laughs) or even hours. And the kiss could be disappointing too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The fantasy can actually be more fulfilling sometimes than the the reality. And that probably has a lot to do with why people who are addicted to love or addicted to these things have to move on once everything is made real. One thing I found, I found something very interesting. Someone said when I was um, researching things after reading your book, someone said that uh, 
knowledge is additive, but wisdom is uh, subtractive. And I find that kind of interesting, the idea that, because I did feel like there was some kind of search for knowledge uh, in all my accumulation of books, but uh, I felt I had to hit a certain level of wisdom to realize that I don't need them and to get to get rid of them. I love that knowledge additive, wisdom subtractive. You know, that gets at this this core maxim, this thing called Occam's razor. So in medicine, we learn this idea that the simplest explanation is usually the right one. You know, so if we're trying to figure out what the diagnosis is for a patient, usually the simplest one is the <laughs> is the yeah. is the right one. And wisdom certainly helps there. You know, I find that it really helps, it certainly helped myself personally and helps my patients to just kind of map out these habit loops. And it simplifies their lives so much because they can just see how much they're driven by this simple three-step process. And once they can see that, they can start to step out of it as compared to, I need to be in therapy for multiple lifetimes <laughs> or buy you know, this self-help book as compared to the last one. So I think I love that. You know, Wisdom is subtractive because we realize we don't need all this extra stuff. And it's just making things more complicated, overcomplicating things perhaps when the simple answer is usually the right one. And something I was thinking of when I was uh, consuming your stuff, too, is even things like therapy or self-help books or, you know, things like that, I think depending on your relationship to them, they don't really have to be bad if you're not using it as part of this um, habit or addiction loop, but just something you, you know, choose to do in, in moderation without, you know, using it as a way to escape from yourself. But I think at the end of the day, you kind of have to evaluate your relationship to stuff. Because like, I mean, I still like to read a lot, but the idea of collecting the books as a compulsion or reading as an escape from my feelings was, I think, the problem. And yeah. To a certain level, I have to kind of stay vigilant about that, about like, what am I, am I lapsing into using it? But I'm sure there are some things that probably can't work, even in moderation, like, and I kind of want to get your take on the idea of moderation. And, and some people believe in, I have to quit drinking or all these things, cold turkey. And then some people believe actually, you know, things can be okay in moderation. I was wondering what your ideas were about that or your research. Yes. Talk to you about that. Yes. So I certainly, in my clinic with my patients who are addicted to things, I certainly take a harm reduction approach, which is not being adamant about, you know, you have to not use X, Y, or Z. What, what folks need to do is be able to find where they're tipping over into continued use despite adverse consequences. So for example, with smoking, we don't have to smoke to survive. But with eating, you know, we have to eat. We've got to get calories in and we're going to waste away. So here, eating is a really good example because people have to learn to, you know, if they're overeating and they're, you know, they're very obese or if they are stress eating and they're, you know, they're just eating a bunch of junk food and it's not healthy for them. They've got to kind of see this for themselves. So let's use this example of so my patient who I described earlier, who had panic disorder. He also was 180 pounds overweight. And what I did was I had him go home and map out his anxiety habit loops for two weeks. I gave him our unwinding anxiety app and said, you know, had him download it and say, try this out. Two weeks later, he came back and he said, you know, doc, I lost 14 pounds. 
And I was a little shocked because we hadn't even talked about weight loss then. We were going to focus on this anxiety first. But he said, you know, I mapped out these habit loops and I realized that stress eating wasn't actually helping my anxiety. So I get anxious. There's the trigger. I would eat. There was the behavior. And the result was I actually felt bad about myself because I know I need to lose weight. And so over the course of six months, simply by paying attention and getting curious about that, he lost over 100 pounds. And I say this because he wasn't trying to force himself to lose weight. He tried that before and it didn't work. But what he was doing was looking at how rewarding that behavior was. And this is how our brains work, is our brains are going to keep doing behaviors if they're rewarding. They're going to stop doing those behaviors if they're no longer rewarding. So we actually, my lab um, has done a study on this where I embedded this craving tool in our Eat Right Now app so we could look to see how quickly people start to moderate, for example, their eating behaviors, how they, how quickly they, they move from overeating to not overeating, for example, by simply paying attention to how rewarding the overeating is. So we have them go ahead and eat the way that they normally would, but we have them pay attention as they do it and then check in with themselves to see how satisfied they feel afterwards. Generally, people don't feel satisfied when they're overstuffed. You know, uh, it, you know, they get this bloated feeling, they feel sluggish, and they feel guilty about overeating if they're trying to lose weight. It only takes 10 to 12 times of, of people using this craving tool in, in our Eat Right Now app to actually shift that reward value to below zero, where they now have shifted their behavior. So here, moderation can naturally come as we start to see the results of our behaviors. So you can't change a behavior simply by telling yourself to stop doing it. Otherwise, <laughs> every patient that came in, I would just say, stop smoking, stop overeating. And then I would send them home and they, they wouldn't need to see me. Yeah, yeah, willpower. Yeah, it's more a myth than muscle. So here, it's about tapping into these brain mechanisms. And if reward-based learning is the strongest mechanism known in science for learning, why not use that? So we can actually hack that system and simply have them update that reward value so that they become disenchanted with these old behaviors. My patients come in when they're smoking and I say, go ahead and smoke. And they come back and they say, wow, that tasted like crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh <laughs> You know, you know, it's funny in the meantime, I don't know if you can hear all this background noise. I'm going to have to cut it out in uh, editing, but I guess they just called the election for um, Biden. So people outside my window are honking their horns and screaming and yelling. <laughs> but I mean, in real time, I feel like that's kind of an example of uh, a couple of days of anxiety that societally we were having. And now people are feeling like a big release. But that's a that's a real time example of uh, anxiety being being released. I can hear it through my my noise canceling headphones. <laughs> well, that, I can hear it a little bit as well. That's a, so that's a wonderful example. Our brains hate uncertainty, right? And no matter what side of the aisle we're on, our brains hate to know, you know, even if, the, if we know the answer is not going to be good, we still want to know the answer so that that uncertainty can go to zero. And uncertainty drives anxiety. I even put a short animation out on my YouTube channel about how coronavirus anxiety is really driving people nuts because, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty there. All right, so that was a preview. If you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode and a hundred more episodes, then by all means, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Take care, y'all.